0: I wanna start by saying there are two groups of people I am deathly terrified of, just absolutely terrified of. The first, people on Facebook. People on Facebook, wouldn't you agree, are just mean. Like, someone told me one time, like the worst time to ever be on Facebook is between August and November of an upcoming election. So if you're just getting on Facebook for the first time, it's great. Yeah, just keep using it. In fact, this, this week, I started using again this wonderful little button on Facebook called Unfollow. Unfollow. And uh, it gives me the ability, essentially, to not see what anybody else is posting if they're a little crazy when it comes to posting stuff online. In fact, what I want to do to start today, I want to play a little game with you called keep or delete. What I'm going to do is I'm going to show you some actual profiles of people uh, that I have deleted, and you tell me if I should have kept them or not. A few of these I've kept. Okay, so the first one is... um, A woman in her profile described herself as, and I quote, a prophetic evangelist who studied at the Benny Hinn School of the Holy Spirit. Do we keep or delete? That's an easy delete. She's gone, right? The next is a guy who uh, put the Backstreet Boys as his profile picture. Keep or delete? Delete. Now, for those of you who said delete, I want you to ask yourself the question, what 45-year-old man do you know that has a Backstreet Boys profile picture? I'm thinking to myself, that's a pretty interesting guy you may want to get to know. I would keep him. Here we go. Third, how about the pastor of the church? And here's the name, and I quote it exactly. The fire-baptized holiness Church of God of the Americas. Do you delete that guy or keep him? You absolutely keep him because that's the best church name ever. Here's one guy. You tell me keep or delete. A guy who describes himself as, quote, street evangelist for the Lord in all caps. Keep or delete. He's gone. I can just hear that guy screaming in all caps. For the Lord, right? That guy's got to go, right? Finally, how about a Christian friend who on the weekends is an Elvis impersonator? Do you delete that guy or do you keep him? You absolutely keep that guy. Our lives are boring enough. We all need Elvis impersonators to make us happy. Well, there's another group that I'm very, very scared of. I said there are two groups of people, people on Facebook in the political season, but also another group. And this is a serious one, and they happen to be one of the biggest groups of bullies in the United States, and we need to unite against them. These are people who frighten people, they manipulate, they intimidate, they twist the facts, they play on your emotions, they threaten, they belittle, they make people feel like hostages, And it's about time someone had the guts to stand up to them and say no more. We won't take it anymore. And of course, I'm referring to these people. That's right. The Girl Scouts, they'll come to the door, and I'll shut the door, and I'll have eight boxes of cookies, and Lisa will say, eight boxes, what? what are you doing? I'm like, they're scary, and Lisa's like, they're six years old. I'm like, I know, I can't tell these girls, no, they're very, very scary. Well, speaking of scary people, we're in the middle of this series called Jesus Changes Everything, and Jesus confronts some pretty scary people that really intimidated a lot of people that found themselves traveling to Jerusalem at a very important spiritual time in their lives. And we're going to look at them today. So what I need you to do is open up your Bibles to John chapter 2, verse 13. Now... I would love it if everybody could download the church app. You could go to your app prospect or your respective app store. Type in CCV Philadelphia. It'll pull up the app, and in the in the, on the app itself, it'll have a Bible tab, and it will have the passage we're going to look at. Let's go ahead and let's start. John chapter two, verse thirteen begins this way: When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. Now, any kid in high school knows what Passover is. It's the day when you're incredibly thankful for your Jewish friends because you get an extra day off school. But for people in the first century in Jesus's time, the Passover was the biggest deal of the entire year. The Jewish historian tells us that for this festival, Jewish pilgrims came from all over the world to descend, to descend on Jerusalem, and Josephus tells us that there were over 2 million people that showed up during the week of Passover. Now, New Testament scholars like Joachim Jeremias and E.P. Sanders and others state that Josephus has a tendency to exaggerate about things. But it was a pretty big deal. So what I want you to do, Jerusalem was a a bit smaller than Pottstown. For those of you uh, who are all over the country or you're tuning in from Panama, welcome. We're so glad you're here. Those of you who are tuning in from India and Kenya and Haiti and all the different places around the world where we have mission partners, Pottstown is a town that has uh, roughly 50,000 people in the immediate area. And so for those of us that are local, I just want you to imagine that all of the sports centers that are downtown near the airport, they're up in Pottstown. And I want you to imagine this town of roughly 50,000 people swells because the Eagles are playing in Pottstown. The Phillies, the Sixers, the Flyers are all playing in Pottstown, and they're playing well. So people are going to cheer them on and not just boo. Part of the celebration at the temple was the sacrificing of an animal. You remember the story in the Old Testament about how during uh, the time when God's people were in Egypt, Moses came to liberate them, and uh, God told him that on this night, he's going to strike down the firstborn of every family unless they sacrifice a lamb, a perfect lamb, take the blood. Now, they're going to eat it later, but they kill a lamb and they take the blood and put it over the door frame of their house. And at that time, if they did that, it would mark that they were a people that followed Yahweh and the angel of death would fly over them. And so every year, the family of God celebrated that protection and that sacrifice by coming to Jerusalem and sacrificing an animal. And then Going home to their family like Jesus did with his disciples and celebrating the, the meal, the Passover meal, and then they ate the lamb later. Now, this turned into quite a business. So much so that it wasn't just random people who were coming out. This was a big business, even though it's sort of like people that sell um, like Christmas decorations at the mall, like they're up for like two months. That's essentially what this business was. You you could make a lot of money in one week. And so there would be people that would surround the temple selling animals, but they had a problem. And the problem was this. Not everybody was from Israel and not everybody had temple coins. And so you have people that are coming from Rome and Cyprus and Turkey, Asia Minor, and Syria in different places, Egypt, And they didn't have the right money. So just like when you and I go to another country and we exchange our money at the airport, we have to pay 7 to 10% to exchange our money. Same thing happened there. But the people who were coming to this, it was a a once-in-a-lifetime event. And they didn't have a lot of money. And so these people were charging exorbitant rates for them to transfer their money first into um, Jewish monetary coins. Then second, turn around and um, buy a lamb, or if they were too, too poor, they would buy birds. But they got hit twice, and there was nothing they could do about it. Like, what a racket. Like, they needed a lamb, and they needed to change their money. Jesus saw this, that these people, these scheming people that had turned God's House and the system that was supposed to be liberating for people to help them find the life that God had created for them, they turned it into a business. It infuriated Jesus. Now, the money changers, Jesus went nuts. He was at the temple, he saw this, and it tells us in verse 15 he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts. Now, this is John uh, using a sense of hyperbole, like there would have been thousands of people swarming the temple. He was just simply saying, John's saying, he drove a lot of people out of the temple, both sheep and cattle, and he scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house Into a market. And what a claim. Like last week we talked about Jesus's deity. What a claim to call this house his father's house. In other words, this is my house too. Now I love different images that people have come up with through the years of different types of Jesus, Jesus's that have cleansed the temple. Like, here's one of my favorites the 1950s King James English white Jesus. This guy, thou shalt leave the temple. I love that guy. Uh, then there's flannel board Sunday school Jesus. This guy actually is pretty cool. I like that guy. But then there's jacked Jesus with the protein shake. You like this picture right here? Jacked Jesus getting ready to go after him. But more than likely, what's happening right here is that it looks something. Like this picture. Jesus knocking over a handful of tables, ticking off the religious leaders because they knew that this was a statement that he was making. Let me ask you this. Those of you who have read the Bible before, you know that there are four um, little mini biographies of Jesus Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I tell this joke all the time. I have a friend that had a good friend that had four boys and named them Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Reuben. But these are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're going through John's gospel right now. But those of you who have read the Bible before, you're familiar with the fact that Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're called the synoptic gospels, and it comes from the Greek word, but they are seeing the same. Optic is to see soon, which means together, okay? So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John basically tell the same story from beginning to end. Jesus' start of the ministry in the desert he ends up on the cross and the resurrection. Here's my question. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when does the cleansing of the temple occur? Think about it. Does it happen at the beginning, the desert? Does it happen in the middle when he's in Galilee? Matthew chapter 16 tells us he turned his his face to Jerusalem, right, and started heading to Jerusalem. Did it happen on his way to Jerusalem? No, it happened in Jerusalem, right? In fact, biblical scholars tell us that the cleansing of the temple was the inciting incident that led ultimately to the crucifixion of Jesus. So in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the cleansing of the temple occurs at the end of the story. John's gospel, which is a deeply theological reflection on the life of Jesus, using Matthew, Mark, Luke, Matthew, Mark, and Luke as historical sources, John takes the story of the cleansing of the temple and takes it from right before the crucifixion of Jesus and moves it all the way back to the beginning of Jesus's ministry. Now, a lot of really conservative scholars have gotten in a huff over this and they said, well, then that means there are two temple cleansings. That's not it at all. That's not it at all. John knows that people have the other three gospels, and they know that it actually happened chronologically at the end of Jesus's life. John is putting it at the beginning of Jesus's life, knowing people that they know that chronologically and historically, but he puts it at the beginning of Jesus's life and his ministry because he wants to make a point. And the point is this. I've heard it said that religion is people reaching up to God. Christianity is God reaching down to people. Those of you who started reading the Gospel of John this week, you know that the Gospel of John begins how? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 14 it says, and the Word became flesh. in Greek it says it tabernacle God built a tent on the ground and started living among us in Greek in arkain halagas kai halagas en in the beginning was the word and the word was with god prostanton in the presence of god jesus was there the book of colossians tells us that jesus was there and was responsible for creation he is overall everything that was created in this world was created through Jesus and now John's gospel tells us that God comes down to the earth to save us and what's the first thing that he does He communicates You can't save yourselves There's nothing you can do that can you can save yourselves Which if you ask me is incredibly good news I'm not that good of a person and neither are you. We make mistakes. We're broken. We're sinful. But John tells us in John three sixteen, God, through Jesus, loves the world. He loves you and me in spite of our brokenness. And so these people that were caught up in the system— where you have to offer this perfect sacrifice and you have to get it just right. And then in fact we can make we're going to turn this thing into a business. Jesus hates that stuff. He's like you don't get it. The great theologian Augustine of Hippo said, "For what am I to myself without you, but a guide to my own downfall?" What am I to What am I to myself without you, but a guide to my own downfall? And there are a bunch of people in this area that have grown up with religion. Maybe you're one of them. As a kid, you have memories of standing up, sitting down, reciting a prayer that you have memorized. Yes, it's meaningful to some people, but to you and your experience was it's no different than being in the first century. People at this temple, and they're just going through the motions. Jesus calls them, the leaders of these places, blind guides. What we hear about in the Gospel of John is God reaching out to us, coming down. Religion is going up. Relationship, Christianity is going down. That's why I want to end by telling you a a really exciting announcement for us. And I want to answer some questions as I do this. We are going back to church in person. We receive confirmation from the governor that he's allowing an exemption for churches to meet together. And so what we're going to do is on September 20th, we're going to come together physically as a church family. We're still going to have a streaming service. We are always now going to have an online campus. And for those of you who are close and far away who feel more comfortable with that option, that's just fine, but we're going to come together. We're going to meet as a church family. Um, let me give you the particulars. We're starting on September 20th. We're going to have services at 9 and at 1030. We're going to have full children's programming, full student ministry programming with some modifications for COVID. COVID. As you come in, uh, you're going to notice that in our auditorium, the chairs are going to be socially distanced. We are going to ask adults coming into the worship service to wear masks. Everybody that's going to volunteer and be in our children's ministry, they will wear masks. There will also be temperature checks on Sunday morning. During the season, right now, initially, we don't know how long it will last, but we are going to have a reservation system. We need to make sure that we have enough space and the chairs are ready, so we're going to send out an email on Monday, hey, sign up is for church on Sunday, and we're going to have a certain limit, and it's going to be first come, first serve. We're going to ask you to be very um, mindful of the fact that if you sign up for three people with your family, and you can't show up, that you contact back and you say, hey, I need to give my seats back up because there will be people who will be waiting for that. Um, Let me ask, let me answer some uh, questions that surely are, would be in my mind if I was hearing this announcement. And the first is, didn't you just have a COVID scare? Like, didn't you just like last week announce that you had a COVID scare? Yes. We had one person come down with COVID in our church of 5,000. One person, but this person was married to a staff member and was uh, affecting potentially multiple areas, and it affected our worship night. And because it affected a church-wide event, I made the call that we need to announce it across the board. Now, um, some people were like, you really don't need to do that, but I felt that this was precedent setting, and everyone needs to know that our principle has always been total transparency, and so we wanted to have transparency in that. So people now, I believe, will trust us because I made that announcement. Now we are doing everything that we, are, that we possibly can, everything that both doctors and uh, community officials have learned and are asking us to do, we are implementing those. But I just want to say this, there are going to be some people who just aren't ready to come back. And I just want to tell you a story. So first time I went skiing, uh, Mad River Mountain uh, Ski Resort in Belfountain, Ohio, I had never skied before, And uh, we went up to the top of a black diamond trail. I had no idea what the black diamond was. I had never been skiing before. So I went straight down this hill. I had no idea how to ski, and I definitely didn't know how to stop. So I was flying down this hill, got to the bottom of it, flipped up into the air, landed on my head, and to the embarrassment of my entire family, they had to bring out like the, uh, the snowmobile and, and, and cart me off, and they put me in a tent and allowed me to have hot cocoa. And so I sat uh, in the resort looking out the window as my wife was skiing happily and my kids were on the bunny slope. And I think that's a pretty good metaphor for how we're gonna do church in this COVID season. There are gonna be some people like me in the resort where they kinda wanna hang back. And I want you to know that's okay. You can watch it just like you're watching right now. And there are gonna be some people who are like, I want the experience of a little more community, but I'm just not ready for a bigger crowd. And that's what our watch parties are for. But there are gonna be some of of you who are like, I'm totally fine. I, I want, I'm ready and I need community and you're going to feel comfortable coming to our in-person services. However you feel comfortable, we believe God is going to unite this amazing church into one body. And so we're thankful for you. We're thankful for your patience. And can I just ask you, when you come, hey, this isn't just like the church leaders have to keep everybody safe. You have to keep you safe, and you have to keep other people safe. Wear your mask, There are going to be cleansers everywhere, socially distanced, and we're going to get through this. And soon, God willing, there's going to be a, uh, a vaccination for this. But in the meantime, we're going to do what the church has always done. We are going to prevail. The gates of hell will not prevail against Jesus's church. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for what you're doing in our community, the way you are changing lives. Thank you so much for the ability to meet together. We look forward to assembling as a church and whether someone just feels comfortable watching online, that's okay. Or maybe they just want to be in a watch party. That's okay too. But for those who are ready to get back and worship, we're thankful. We have missed each other. Guide us and protect us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Brian Jones Sermons. For more information and to find similar articles on this topic and more, please go to Brian's website at brianjones.com.